So our Bible reading this morning is from John chapter 14, verses 1 to 14. And you can find it on page 1675 of the, the church Bible, or you can follow on the screen. So John chapter 14, verses 1 to 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Well, thanks, Peter. Let me get myself organised up here. I want to start this morning by asking you to do a bit of a thought experiment. And I want you to go just in your seats. I don't want you to get up and literally go anywhere. But I want you to go to your place of comfort. Go to that place where you feel at rest and at ease. Allow your mind to go there just for a few moments. Maybe you're sitting in your favourite chair. Maybe you're sitting on your favourite couch. Perhaps you've got a rug over your lap. Uh, I asked a few people this week about their, their comfort place. For most people, it involved this, chocolate. Uh, I could be a little nervous this morning. Maybe I should just go to my place of comfort. Perhaps for you it involves a glass of wine, a series on Netflix or YouTube. Maybe you're a bit more adventurous. Maybe for you, your comfortable place is on top of a surfboard at your favourite beach. I've spent lots of hours relaxing in the surf and really enjoy it. Maybe for you it's your perfect ski run. We've had a few people go skiing recently and have enjoyed that. I want you to go there in your minds just for a few moments now. Because I want you to remember what it feels like to be at peace and to be in a place where you feel relaxed. 
Because my guess is that for most of us, that's not our natural state of mind at the moment. For many of us, life is frenetic. And we live with a level of anxiety and stress that's just part of what we do. And just imagine, just for a moment this week, that you had genuinely run out of toilet paper in your house. Life is stressful, right? Can be difficult. And on a more serious note, many of us will know all too well what it means to have a troubled heart. I think a lot of us will be able to sympathise with the disciples who we learn in this passage have a troubled heart. There's lots of things to cause us anxiety and worry in our world. Coronavirus, money issues, distress at work, ill health, relationship issues. And for some of us, the trouble will run very, very deep. The Guardian newspaper published an article on mental health last late, late last year that I was reading and they, they cite an often used statistic that one in four people will experience a form of mental illness in a given year. One in four. And so I want to be clear up front today. Jesus never promises us a life that is trouble-free. Being a follower of Jesus, it's not going to stop you getting cancer or heart disease. Following Jesus is not a cure to mental health issues, whether they're severe or mild. Following Jesus is not a promise to a stress-free life. I think some of the kids that we saw in the compassion video would be able to testify to that. Sure, they may get food and education and the message of the gospel, but life is still hard. And if we look to Jesus, the the perfect example of someone who lived the Christian life, well, he was pressed right up into the point of giving up his life. I want you to know for sure, Christianity never has been about an easy life. But at the same time, I want you to see that for followers of Jesus, there is a deep-seated peace and assurance that I hope gives you kind of like buoyancy, when the weight of the world pressures down on your shoulders. Over the last few weeks as a church, we've been looking at the way in which Jesus describes himself, the way in which he wants us to know him. We've read and seen that he's the bread of life, the one who who truly satisfies. We've seen Jesus as the one who cares for us. We saw him as the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for the sheep. We've seen Jesus as the resurrection and the life, the one who's able to reverse the brokenness in this world, defeating even death itself. And John, our gospel writer, the author of this gospel, he wants us to know these things because he wants us to believe in Jesus. To believe in him, to trust him, to know that in Jesus salvation is found. And I want you to see this morning that with that comes a sense of peace and assurance. Over the last few weeks we've seen Jesus cure a blind man. We've seen him go even one step further and raise a dead man. I want you to know Jesus can do these things We've seen him do that in the words of John's gospel. But following Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus will heal your blindness or raise your friend to life from death. But at the same time, I hope you see 
comfort for all of us in these words, comfort for those of us who have a troubled heart. Have you managed to get a leaflet on your way in this morning? Um, I'd love you to open that. If you have it in front of you, you'll see I've listed three ways, three ways in which our hearts might be comforted from these verses this morning. And they're not silver bullets. I hope you've kind of got that message already. It's not that you will never need to worry again having seen these things, but I hope that they sit as a foundation for you, underpinning the sense of of who we are as those who are in Jesus. And the comfort, I want you to see that the comfort comes in three ways this morning. It comes from knowing where we're going, knowing where we're going. It comes from knowing how to get there. And it comes from knowing the God who made all of this possible. Three ways. Knowing where we're going, knowing how to get there, and knowing the God who's done all this for us. So let's get into it. Right at the start of the chapter, you'll see, as Peter read it to us, that the disciples have troubled hearts. Why are their hearts troubled? Well, we need to go to the end of chapter 13 to see the answer to that. So come with me, if you haven't got your Bibles open already, come with me to John chapter 13. It's on page 1674. And we're going to start just by looking at verse 33 together. Here we see Jesus speaking to the disciples and we learn why they have troubled hearts at this particular moment. So John chapter 13, verse 33. Jesus is speaking, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Their hearts are troubled because he's going away. And have a look down in verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. So Jesus has announced to the disciples that he's leaving them. The man they had followed, the man that that hung off his very words, that watched him work miracle after miracle, and he's told them he's about to leave them. And they loved him. Perhaps they were wondering what would happen to Jesus when he leaves them. Perhaps they were wondering what was going to happen to them when Jesus leaves them. Would the authorities that have been pursuing Jesus, would would they turn on the disciples? It's understandable, isn't it, that their hearts would be troubled. I think it's worth just us remembering as well at this time that Jesus is leaving the disciples because he's about to go to the cross and die. He's about to face the wrath of God to drink the bitter cup, to bear the sin of the world. And if anyone really had a cause to have a troubled heart at this juncture in time, it's Jesus. You would have thought that at this time, perhaps just once, that might have been the disciples who were able to provide support to Jesus. Maybe just a cup of tea. And yet, it's Jesus who's concerned for the disciples. Jesus who meets them in their need. And so we read at the start of chapter 14, Jesus saying, Do not let your hearts be troubled. He knows and understands where they're at. He knows their mood. And here's his instruction. You believe in God, believe also in me. Believe in me. You believe in God, believe also in me. We've seen this lots and lots of times in John's gospel, haven't we already? 
In the last of our I Am series, I want to ask you the question that springs out of this passage. Where are you at today then in terms of your belief in Jesus? See, John wrote this gospel. He wrote it. He gave it to us so that we would believe in Jesus, so that we would know what he's like, that we would trust him and believe in him as God, as Savior, as King. What do you think of Jesus? Do you believe in him? Here's what Don Carson says. If Jesus speaks the words of God and if he performs the acts of God, should he not be trusted like God? That's what John wants us to see, isn't it? Here's a man who speaks like God, who acts like God. Should he not be trusted as God? Over the last few weeks, we've seen Jesus do all these amazing things. Healing a blind man, raising a man from the dead. And those signs, they are there to point us to see that Jesus can be trusted. That he should be believed. And here we see Jesus saying, believe in me. Trust him. And do so even when our hearts are troubled. And we're to do that because he speaks the words of God and he performs the acts of God. He is God. And as God, he knows what's going on. He sees the bigger picture. And he knows ultimately where the disciples are going. And we read about that in verse 2. This is what it says in verse 2 of chapter 14. Jesus speaking, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Now, this is our first encouragement, I hope you see this morning. Don't let your hearts be troubled because you're on your way to the Father's house. And when you get there, there'll be a room waiting for you. There's a place for you in God the Father's house. That's for certain. Jesus himself has gone ahead and he prepares that place for you. That's what he's saying to the disciples. I think, myself, this is one of the most delightful images in the Bible. At least for me, this is an incredible image of comfort. You see, my earthly parents' house indeed has many rooms. And for those of you who have been here for a while at Trinity Church, you'll know that my family, my immediate family and I, have had cause to use those rooms multiple nights. So Meredith and I were building our house last year. We lived with my parents. Some of you might have done a similar thing. And even... Though I don't really like to admit it as a nearly nearly 40-year-old man with my own family, my parents' house, it still sits there in my conscience as a sort of backstop. It doesn't matter what goes wrong, poor health, failure. Their house will always be there as a place of safety and comfort and reassurance. Now, I recognize that for many of you, you may not have a parent's house that's like that for many different reasons. But I think we all, at least at one level, can understand the security and peace and comfort that a parent's house could or might provide for us. It's a great image, isn't it? And here's the objective truth. His father's house has many rooms. And the implication is that there is a room there for you. There are many rooms. I'll just think through a question for a minute. Where is Jesus, where is this house that Jesus is describing? What's going on here? Where is his father's house? 
I wonder, perhaps it's in heaven. Maybe that's what's on view here. And if it is, then in what sense does Jesus need to prepare that place for us? What sense does Jesus need to prepare that place for us if that Father's house is in heaven? Last year, Meredith and I went away for a weekend to Tassie. It was a really special time and we stayed in a nice hotel and we went out for dinner one night and while we were out eating our meal, someone came in and prepared the room for us. They kind of did something with the bed. I'm not much of making the bed up, but they kind of did something with the bed to turn it down and they set up some tea on the side. Can you have a drink before you go to sleep? They prepared the room and they did it especially for us. It was lovely, nice thing to do. Is Jesus going to heaven to turn our beds down or set out a pot of tea for us to have before we go to sleep? What more does Jesus need to do then to prepare a place for us? Well, here's what I think is going on. Perhaps it's not so much heaven that needs to be prepared as that we need to be prepared for heaven itself. See, I think what's going on in the passage here is that Jesus still needs to do the preparatory work of going to the cross, of dying and rising. See, it's the cross and the resurrection that prepares us for the home that Jesus is speaking about here. He needs to go and die as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world in order that the place be prepared for us to go to it. See, without the cleansing work of the cross, we're not able to enter into that home. We need to be prepared for it by Jesus' death and his resurrection. I want you to see, if he goes to all that effort of preparing a place for us by dying and rising again, we can be certain that he'll do the rest of it, that is, that he'll come back and bring us to be there with him. And I hope that sits as a comfort for you today. Despite the challenges of this world, Despite the stress of what's going on in our world, he's coming back and he's going to bring us with him to his father's house. In his father's house, there's a room for all of us. It's not yet full for those of us who put our trust in Jesus. There is a room for us. That's the first of our remedies. If you believe in Jesus, if you trust in him, then you can know where you're going to the father's house. And yet the disciples are still troubled. How will they get there? Thomas asks in verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? I think this question of Thomas, is it, it kind of highlights that although the disciples know Jesus pretty well at this point in the story, they still don't understand a lot of what Jesus has been saying. Look at the way that Jesus answers Thomas. He, he addresses him with the next of our I am sayings. We've been looking at all these different I am sayings of Jesus and we get to this one in verse 6 of John chapter 14. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you're looking for a way to the Father's house, here is the answer of how you get there. Jesus is the way. Give you some words from Don Carson again at this point. Andrew, they're on the screen behind me if you want to flick them up for everyone to read. Don Carson says, Jesus is the way to God precisely because he is the truth of God and the life of God. Jesus is the truth because he embodies the supreme revelation of God. He himself narrates God, says and does exclusively what the Father gives him to say and do, and he is properly called God. 
He is God's self-disclosure, his word made flesh. Isn't this magnificent and yet kind of terrifying all at the same time? Magnificent in the sense that Jesus has just shown us exactly how we get into the presence of God. How we enjoy God's presence and his company and relationship with him. It's through Jesus. He's the way. He's the pipeline or the door through which God is encountered. It's terrifying as well, isn't it? Because no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. If you don't enter through that door or that pipeline or that portal, you won't get to God. Other religions or or other spiritual endeavors, they might promise to take you somewhere, to God perhaps. And I think the general Australian view is that you'll get to where you want to go. You probably heard people say things like, all roads lead to heaven. But Jesus says here, no one comes to the Father except through me. He's the doorway. You must pass through Jesus if you want to end up with the Father. No other way will do it. We've heard from Roger this morning about compassion, caring for disadvantaged, vulnerable children by supporting them, by feeding them, educating them, looking after them in many different ways. And it's it's critical work. We've seen the statistics this morning. What I love about compassion is that they also point children towards Jesus. He's the only way to the Father. Children need food and care and education and support. They also need God. And the way to him is through Jesus. And so compassion introduced the kids to Jesus. So here are the first of our two kind of remedies in dealing with troubled hearts we've seen this morning. We know where we're going to the Father's house and we know how to get there. That's with Jesus. The third remedy, third thing I want to suggest to you this morning is that we can experience God, that we can see him. See, I think Philip is a little confused at all this talk of houses and how to get there. And so he says in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And I wonder this morning, would seeing God the Father be a comfort for your troubled heart? Let's have a think about how that works in the rest of the Bible. Isaiah, well, he was terrified when he saw a picture of Jesus. Woe of God, woe is me, said Isaiah. But in another way, I think standing in the presence of God would, would fully complete us being face to face with our maker. I imagine that there is no greater experience for us than seeing God in his splendor and his glory. You might remember the occasion where Moses was kind of granted just a little bit of a view of God. He had to hide in the cleft of a rock and then God kind of covered Moses with his hand and just allowed Moses to see the trailing edge of God's back. But you kind of get the idea that even that briefest of views was mesmerizing for Moses. A balm for a troubled heart. And here's the balm for us today. We can look to God because we see God in Jesus. We can see what Jesus is like as we read about him in these pages. We can see what he said and what he did. And in Jesus, we can then gaze on God the Father. Here's how Jesus puts it in verse 9. Jesus answered Philip, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been with you such a long time? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe in me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the work themselves. And so Jesus is really responding to Philip and he's saying, You've seen the Father because you've seen me. You've heard the Father because you've heard me. I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Sure, they're separate persons and yet they're the same God. And we've seen this time and time again as we've worked our way through these I am sayings. God the Father and God the Son, same God, separate persons. What it means for us today though is that as we read John's words or Jesus' words in John's gospel, as we read about his miracles, as we read about what Jesus says and does, we see God the Father at work as well. And so if there is comfort to be found in looking at God the Father, that comfort can be found by looking at Jesus, seeing him in his words, reading about him. Let me remind you of where we've gone this morning. So we've been talking about having troubled hearts and some remedies for that. Remedies that aren't silver bullets, but truths that I hope give us some buoyancy when the weight of the world presses on our shoulders. Those truths are this. We know where we're going. We know how to get there. And lastly, we can look to the Father by seeing Jesus. We can experience the Father by experiencing Jesus. I hope those three remedies are helpful in giving you a sense of buoyancy. But we can't move on from this passage without saying something about the imperative of mission that flows out of these words, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'd love you to go home today thinking about that phrase, no one comes to the Father except through me. I'd like you to go home thinking about the one person who you might pray for. Pray for opportunities to introduce that person to Jesus because no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. It should give us lots of opportunity, lots of encouragement to go out and help other people get to know the person of Jesus. Now, the last few verses of this passage, I don't know if you noticed this when Peter read them, but I think they're quite tricky passages to understand. Let me read them to you first and then offer a couple of suggestions, particularly how they might relate to mission and how we go about understanding them. So the last few verses of this passage say this, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son." You may ask anything, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So Jesus seems to be saying that those who believe in him will do even greater things than he's been doing. Now that's a pretty big claim, isn't it? Given that he's fed the 5,000, given that he's raised Lazarus from the dead and given sight to a blind man. So what does Jesus mean? I'd love you to go away and think about that. Try and work it out for yourself. But here's here's an idea, perhaps what this might mean. See, behind all of these miracles and all of the talking is this. Jesus has been showing us, 
showing the world who he is. He's been helping people through his miraculous works to believe and trust in him. Now Jesus is saying that soon he's going to the Father's side, but before he does that, he first has to die and rise again. And as the dust settles on that world-changing event, I think the life and works of Jesus will begin to make more sense for those watching on. It will become clearer as to who Jesus is and what he came to do. And that will make the task of revealing Jesus as the Saviour, as the Messiah, as the King of the world, easier. Back in chapter 2 of John, it says this. This is after uh, Jesus had been talking about destroying the temple and raising it again in three days. Back in John chapter 2, he says this. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that he had spoken. Becomes clearer after his death and resurrection. And so we read in the book of Acts about the disciples preaching and teaching about who Jesus was and the result of that is that thousands put their trust and hope in Jesus. They turn and believe. And perhaps this is just a part of the greater things that Jesus mentioned. Not greater miracles or greater miraculous signs than the raising of someone who's dead, but greater in the sense that so many believe So many put their hope and trust in Jesus. Well, we all know what it feels like to have a troubled heart, don't we? Perhaps you don't feel that this morning. Maybe you will, though, over the next week or month. And today we've seen together some remedies, some things to help us when our hearts are troubled. They're not going to completely fixed troubled hearts the world we live in is broken and flawed but i want you to have that sense of buoyancy because we know where we're going to the father's house and we know there's a room there prepared for us we know how to get there that's by following jesus he is the way and as we make our way to that place we can look to god the father by looking at jesus And we do that by fixing our eyes on him through his words in the Bible. Let me pray for us and then uh, we're going to sing a song again together. Father God, I want to give you thanks for what you reveal about who you are and your character through the words of John's Gospel. I want to thank you for the way in which we can encounter you by looking to Jesus. I want to thank you for what we've learned about Jesus over the last six weeks as we've looked at these I am sayings. Father, in times of trouble that are inevitably going to catch up with all of us at one point or another, we pray that you would help us to have that sense of buoyancy, knowing where we're going, how to get there, and that we can look to you in times of trouble. Amen.